I have a confession to make. I'm really kind of overly excited about this morning. Uh, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but I've read this passage that we're going to look at so, uh, quite a few times. I've studied it, but as I looked at it this week, I feel like God opened my eyes to something I had never seen before. Uh, something that I had never, uh, I felt like the Holy Spirit just brought conviction and showed me the beauty and urgency that are, is right here in this text. Um, my poor wife, it took everything in me not to preach at her all week long. I was so excited for this morning. But um, I really am. Uh, we are going to start, as we just read, in, in chapter 3. Okay, so right now we are in the middle of a series that uh, we're, as a church, we're going through the book of Ephesians, one of my favorite books in all the Bible. Uh, and so we are, we're kind of like midway through this series, a little less than, and we're starting in, in chapter three. Here's what we're going to do um, this morning in this text. So have you ever known anyone that when you talk to, they are really good at going down every rabbit trail? Like, you're talking a squirrel. They're just gone, you know? Um, well, Paul does that here in our text. In, in verse uh, chapter 3, um, our text is a little bit like that because he starts in the first verse and he says, you know, prisoner of the Lord on behalf of you Gentiles, and then rabbit trail. He is gone for up until the 13th verse. He is on this long and beautiful rabbit trail. Our uh, hope this morning is, is to look at this rabbit trail together. Um, Paul, by the way, he does come back to us in, in verse 14. He kind of lands where he left off in verse 1. Uh, but our hope this morning is to look at the beautiful rabbit trail, and we're going to call the rabbit trail the mystery of Christ. What is that? We're going to look at that. Paul's rabbit trail, we're going to call the mystery of Christ. So let's look at it. Let's start in verse 2, uh, the first verse of the, the beautiful rabbit trail. It says, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given uh, to me for you. Listen to this. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. So here Paul introduces to us for the first time the mystery Right? The, the mystery. A mystery is something that's beyond our uh, ability to know on our own. So like this, this text says, um, we wouldn't know it unless God showed it or revealed it to us. So, so Paul here, it says, the mystery is revealed through revelation and, and, and Paul knows it because it has been revealed. We continue on verse 4. As you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. So again, Paul, uh, the mystery again, he says, as you read this, you're going to get a glimpse at this, that, of this mysterious thing that we're calling the mystery of Christ. Verse 5 says, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Meaning, the mystery had at this point not been revealed to previous generations. Paul says it's about to be revealed and unveiled. This mystery, which was once concealed, is now revealed uh, by God to the prophets and apostles. So follow me. Okay. Um, here it is. What is it? What is the mystery then? Uh, what has been concealed from previous generations? What is it? Well, fortunately, Paul tells us in verse 6. Let's look at verse 6. It says this, this mystery is that, 
So he just, no, no wondering here. He says, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So again, for those of you who aren't familiar with the term Gentile, a Gentile is every person who is not Jewish. So every person, if you are not a Jew, you are a Gentile. So that's, that's what Gentiles is. It says Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise of Christ, along with the Jewish believers in Christ. So let's be honest. As we hear that in this room, um, there's probably a good chance that it doesn't mean all that much. This doesn't seem all that mysterious, does it? This, this doesn't seem all that big. Well, we're going to look at it because I think not only was this huge for believers who, who got this letter originally from Paul, uh, not only was it huge for the early church, but it is massive for us today. It has huge implications, um, huge implications. So for believers in this time, you have to remember, like we talked about last week, for thousands and thousands of years, there was a separation between the Jewish people and Gentiles. I don't think we even have a category for it in our, in our, in our language today, in our world today, but there was, the, there was a difference in the way that they lived. There was separation between the way they worshiped. Uh, there's even record of of in the temple, there was a dividing wall that says, Gentiles, you can't go further than this. That's some separation right there. And for thousands of years, that was the normal. And then Paul says, through Christ, that's done. No more. This would have been huge. So now Gentiles are fellow heirs meaning they're not lesser, they're not um, secluded, but they're fellow heirs. He says members of the same body, not a different body, not a smaller and less attractive body, the same body, members of the same body. It says partakers of the promise, meaning not eating leftovers, not eating scraps, but members shares in the same promise of God, God's mysterious plan. So this was huge because the people of God are wonderfully diverse in Christ, and there's no separation between peoples. You follow me? There's no separation in between peoples. Uh, one clarification here before we, before we move on. I don't want you to hear me wrong. It wasn't that the Jewish people were stripped of what God had promised them originally. No, 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 no. It was that the Gentiles are now added in, grafted into God's plan, and that was the mystery um, that had been revealed through Christ. No more separation. So this was huge. Um, I read a story this week. It is a famous Italian composer. I'm not Italian, so I'm probably going to butcher this man, this fine man's name. Um, Alturo Tuscanini. Does that sound good? Yeah. So some of you are Italian. Give me a thumbs up. He, I do know he has an awesome mustache. I, every picture I saw, he had it. Um, but he's a famous composer, and there's a story of this man. He was, he was uh, performing a concert, and apparently it was going really well, really, really well, because in this concert, we have record that at one point, the crowd was so caught up in the moment that they were just cheering, and, and you think, I've been to a symphony, that doesn't happen. Well, that's what the record says, is that they were cheering and applauding, caught up in this, in this moment, and... Um, Interesting, though, he didn't turn around to look at the crowd during this. 
Toscanini just, I said it again, was, was looking straight at the, at the orchestra. As soon as um, the, the cheers doled down a little bit and silence again filled the room, it was at that point that he turned around. Uh, and we have on record what he said to the crowd. He said this, I am nothing. You are nothing. But Beethoven, he is everything. This is a lot like what Paul was preaching. I am nothing. You are nothing. But, but Christ, he is everything. He is, is everything. And it's not about who I am. It's not about what ethnicity you are. It's not about that. It's all about Jesus, that he is everything. So let's fast forward because I don't want to leave it in the first century because many of us are thinking, well, that's great, but I don't have that tendency. Um, Let's fast forward. 2015, this has huge implications for us, and I want to see two before we move on to the rest of what Paul has for us in this text. Um, If the gospel has removed separation... Right? If, if, if the gospel has brought down division and now all peoples through Christ have access to God, if that, if that is true, which it is, has two implications for us. Number one, the closer we are to God, the closer we are to each other. This may sound interest, or strange, but the closer we are to God, the closer we are to each other because there is no room in Christ for separation. Uh, let me put it like this. There is no room for someone to look at another group of people, for any of us to look at another group of people and say that their type of person is less than my type of person. There's no room, uh, whether it be for racial differences, um, economic differences, gender differences, where you live, what you drive, your age, your weight, nothing. Nothing. None of that matters. There is no room for you to think that you are greater than another group of people in Christ. Because remember, as we talked about when we were in chapter 2, we have nothing to boast in other than Christ. The text said that we were all dead. And as we talked about, it's kind of ridiculous to think of a dead thing bragging that it is somehow less dead than something else that's dead. Right? That's ridiculous because dead is dead, and we were dead. And so our only boast is in, is in Christ alone. And there is no room for people to believe in Christ, to believe the mystery of Christ, but to, yet to refuse its implications. Here's the implication. In Christ, there is no dividing wall or separation. It is gone. And because of Christ, the closer we are to God, the closer we are to each other. And I want to push the pause button. We're coming back to it. But let me share the second implication. The second implication of this is that the church should be a preview or should uh, preview the future scene in heaven. That the church should be a preview to the future scene in, in heaven. Um, for those of you who weren't here then, so our church launched about six months ago. Six months ago, which is just absolutely insane for me to even think about. Um, but six months, well, now it would be seven months ago, we had our first, what we called, preview service. How many were here for the preview service? So a few of us were here. Our preview service was fun. We had 
no idea what we were doing. Literally that morning, we got here and we had boxes. We were taking things out of boxes and going, what is this? What does this go to? And we were trying to put together tables, put together our sound system, set up kids. I mean, it was fun. So let me get context. So right now, if you were to serve on one of our setup teardown teams, they're awesome. It takes about 30 minutes. We get together, we have a group of people, we come together in 30 minutes, we set up over there, over here, and we're ready to, to have church together. Well, that morning, it was two and a half hours, and we had to just sit, say, that's enough, because people are getting here. That's just enough. We can't set that up. It was brutal, but we were so excited. We are so excited. Um, we set things up, we set up our sound, um, we wanted it to be designed just like a real service, uh, just like a real service, that, that we had worship, we had preaching, children's ministry, uh, we had greeters, we, we took communion together, we, um, it looked just like a, a typical service was going to look right after we launched, and it, it helped us kind of prepare ourselves to get a glimpse of what was coming, to see what we needed to maybe sure up and so we're not there two and a half hours next week. Um, and so that was exactly the point of our preview service, though. It was to give us a glimpse of what was to come. We should consider ourselves as the grand preview service for the worship scene in heaven. We should consider ourselves to be that preview service for what is to come, which has massive implications if you think about it, because in the church, it cannot be okay for our church to make people who are different feel uncomfortable. It cannot be okay uh, for our community to be a group of people who just want to be with all the people who are the same as them, who talk the same, who believe the same, who smell the same, who, uh, all of that. It cannot be okay because that's not a preview to what's going to happen in heaven it's not okay to think that, yeah, I know in heaven it, we're all going to be one in Christ, right? I know that one day we're going to be right, and all these social differences are going to be overcome, but we don't need to worry about that now. There's no room for that in the church. Um, it saddens me to even say this, but there are books written about church growth, which um, if you don't know these kind of books, they're church written to pastors or church leaders about how to grow healthy communities, how to grow health in your church. Um, I'm not listing any names here, but there are books that actually say something to the effect of this. Um, people will feel more comfortable with people who are like them. I took this out of one of them. If you want to grow your church, you need to expect that and to let your church become a group of people who... Um, who look, smell, and sound alike. Um, not only do I not believe in this method, but I think it is anti-gospel. I think that it is against the gospel. I think it is wrong to think that you can believe in the gospel of Christ but ignore the mystery of Christ. I think that that is impossible. Um, the world tells you that, that we are more comfortable with people who look like us, right? The gospel tells us that we are a body made up of different parts. The world tells us that communities flourish best when they're made up of similar 
people in similar situations and in, in, in similar cultures. The gospel says gospel communities are beautifully diverse. And hear me, unity does not mean that we're all the same. Unity is diversity under Christ. That's what unity is. That unity is not a body that's just a bunch of hands. That's not unity. That's weird. Unity is a body comprised of feet, hands, ears, eyes, nose. Diversity. Unified, working together under under Christ. This is huge for us to see because it's the foundation of what Paul is now going to lay out and the, the, what we're going to spend the rest of our time with this morning. Um, because of this, there are some things that we need to see through the rest of Paul's rabbit trail. Uh, Paul is going to build on this, and I believe this is exactly what God wants to speak to us this morning. So Paul is going to continue um, to talk about what, he's, what God's done in him and what he's called him to, uh, in, any, in many ways, what we're about to look at is, is somewhat of a purpose statement for Paul. It's going to build on what we just got through talking about. And I want to look at Paul's purpose statement because there are three things that I want to pull out and I want us to see. Uh, let's start in verse 8. Uh, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So Paul's first uh, purpose statement here is that Paul is to preach Christ to the Gentiles. Sounds simple. He had a specific purpose, a specific role, a specific people, a message that was his mission was to make Christ known to the Gentiles, um, to preach Christ to the Gentiles. So pause button right off the bat, and let me just ask you a simple question. What is your mission Paul just stated what his was. What is your mission? And I don't want you to just not answer it. I want, you don't have to answer it out loud. But, but where you are, what is your mission? Uh, it's an important question because mission is not something that's reserved for elite Christians. It's not something that's reserved for professional Christians or pastors. No, it's as a child of God. You have been commissioned by Jesus himself to be on mission. So what is, your, what is your mission? Jesus said, go therefore into all the world. Where are you going? What's your mission? That you're commissioned on mission not to be wandering around aimlessly. Because a missionary is not someone who goes overseas to do Christian work. A missionary is every follower of Jesus Christ living on mission for their Savior, as he has commanded us to do. So here's the question. It's not this question, okay? I'm going to put this up here. Am I a missionary? That is not the question. That is not the question. Here's the question. Am I a good one or a bad one? Am I a good one or am I a bad one? So what is your mission? What is your mission? If you don't have one, I want to challenge you real quick before we move on to three things. One, start praying. Mission comes from a passion. Pray that God would give you a passion. Number two, start where you are. Too often we, we wait for the next big door to open before we step in. When God is saying, no, 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 I have you here for a reason. I have you right where you are. This isn't an accident. Start right where you are. And number three is start 
now. Start now. So some of us in this room may be sitting here and you go, I have been a terrible missionary. Terrible. If I was the leader of a missions organization, I would fire me. Some of us are there. If that's you, I have good news. Uh, Tomorrow, just a few hours away, a brand new week starts. A brand new week starts. Let that be the opportunity for you to step in and answer the question, what is your mission? What is your mission? It's not too late. Uh, Paul says, my mission is to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ to the Gentiles, that it's all about Christ. He had the greatest message in the world, the gospel of Jesus, and his first purpose was to preach it to the Gentiles. Let's look at his second purpose. Uh, Verse 9, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So Paul's second purpose is this, to, to point the world to Christ This is the hard part, through the church. To point the world to Christ through the church. So follow me. Um, God's plan was to point the world to Christ, to show everyone this plan, to show everyone how amazing the gospel is. His plan was to be the light, to show the whole world who Christ is, the mystery of Christ. That mystery that was concealed, but now it's here. He wanted to show the world. And you know what his plan was? His plan was to use you use me to use us to do it, to show the world Christ through us, through the church. So I just want that to settle down on us for a moment, to settle down on us for a moment, because we're the plan. We are the plan to show the world Christ um, when the church looks at us, we should, they should see a church that's comprised of, of different cultures, ethnicities, social groups, um, languages, socioeconomic standings, all diverse, all unified, all worshiping their world. The world needs to look at that and compare it to the world that they know on CNN and Fox that says our world is full of war, conflict, this is getting ugly between peoples, but look at the church. Look at that, unified and diverse under Christ, that that needs to be the way that the world sees Jesus. When they look at the church, they should say, there's something different there. There is something different. Um, Jesus says in John 13, 34, uh, John 13, uh, 34 He says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. So that one another here are Christians or the church, each other. So a new commandment I give to you that you love one another, church. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another, church. By this, all people. When you see that, I want you to think world, the world. So by this, the world will know that you are my disciples, that you have love for one another, church. The, the world should look at us and see the way we love each other and say, I know there's something different there. There is something there that I can't find anywhere else. I know these people belong to something greater because this isn't found anywhere else. That they'll know that we are his because of our love for each other. So the question is, how are you known? 
How are you known? How are we known? Can the world look at us and see Christ by the way we treat each other? Or do they see the way that we treat each other on Facebook sometimes? Do they see the way that we can devour each other, especially on Facebook? I don't know what it is, but it just like throws all tact out the window when you can just type it in privacy. Does the world know our love or do, do they see that? Does the world look at our church and see beautiful unity and diversity? Um, or do they see racial, social, and economic segregation? It's a tough one. Uh, Martin Luther King has a, a terrible quote. I, it's a great quote, but it's terrible to think about. He says, Sundays are the most segrega- segregated day of the week. Uh, that's a tough, tough thing because it goes against everything that we have just looked at. Does the world see our love for each other or does it see us? Does it see us gossip and slander and bicker and complain? How are you known? How are you known in your workplace, in your school, your home, your community? Do they see Christ because of the love and the unity that you have, that you show toward, other, toward the family of God, to, toward the church? Do they see God through that? Um, let me be honest with you. It, I get really bothered by this verse. Um, it doesn't take long to realize that Christians can be really tough on the church. We can be really tough on each other. I've heard it said that we're the only people that shoot our wounded. It doesn't take long. It doesn't take you long being here to see that Christians can have really strong opinions sometimes. And often we can start up so much disunity because of that. It doesn't take long to see that. And so many times what what bothers me is that I've seen people who are new to the faith or people who are just kind of wondering what's going on and they come to church and they see that. And it's not just me who thinks that. The number one national statistic for the number one reason that people refuse to come to church is because they think Christians are hypocrites, which means that, that we preach God's love yet don't show it. This should break our hearts because, again, it's exactly opposite of what Jesus said, that they'll know you because of your love. It should break our hearts. Uh, historically, though, as an encouraging note, the church has always been massive in social issues and movements. I look at the church's work in, in racial reconciliation. I look at what the church has done for women and women's value. We have, we have stepped in in big ways in our history. And it's time, church, to be known for that again. To be known for for that, we need to continue that, um, that the church, or that the world could see our love for God and our love for people. So uh, Paul's purposes, we have one more, to preach Christ to the Gentiles, to point the world to Christ to the church, and lastly, to demonstrate God's wisdom to the angels. Now, uh, as I say that, some of you are probably thinking, you have my attention now, because this is about to get weird. Before you think that, though, I want you to walk with me through this text. It is absolutely uh, beautiful. Uh, Verse 10. 
It says, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might uh, now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So think of it like this. I, I read this this week, and, and I loved the way this framed it. So I want you to imagine um, a drama at a theater, uh, a drama at a theater. The, the theater is history. Uh, the stage, that's the world. The actors, that's the church. The writer and the director, that's God himself. Now let me ask you, who is the audience? Well, this text says the audience are the heavenly beings or the angels. We get this glimpse of the angels getting a front row seat to watch the beautiful plan of God unfold. Let me take it a step further. I love this quote right here. Uh, John Stott says, it is through the old creation, the creation of, not on, the world, um, Genesis 1 and 2, when God created the world, it's through that creation that God revealed his glory to humans, which is true. We look out and we're blown away. We see God's glory when we look at all he's created. But hear this, but it is through the new creation, the creation of, not on, the church, that God reveals his wisdom to angels. Isn't that beautiful? Um, the angels, again, getting this front row seat to this beautiful plan unfolding. Here's the most important part. The term manifold. I know I don't use that term very much. Some of you might. might. I haven't heard you use it. Um, manifold. Let's look at this word for a little bit. Uh, manifold is literal. The literal translation of manifold is multicolored. Uh, so, example, uh, in the Old Testament, the, the Greek version of the Old Testament, uh, Joseph had the coat of many colors. The term used to describe that coat of many colors was manifold. So it literally means multicolored, uh, multicolored. So plug that into the context of what we've been talking about. The church is the manifold wisdom of God, the multicolored wisdom of God. Multiracial, multicultural, different nations, different people groups, broke people, rich people, black people, white people, Hispanic, Asian, Indian, African, European, all unified in Christ. The manifold wisdom of God, the mystery of Christ, that the family of God is diverse and beautiful and at the same time, perfectly unified in Christ. Hear me, uh, diversity is not optional for the church. It's not optional for the church. It's not optional for our church. It's a trademark of the church. Diversity is not an option, but a distinctive. Once again, we've said this, but the you, you can't go very long without realizing that our world is absolutely ripped in two by conflict, war, struggle, racial tensions, um, terrorism, all kinds of things that our world is, is just wrecked by in church. Jesus is the answer. Amen? Jesus is the answer. Do you know the way God has chosen to display that answer? Do you know the way that he's chosen to display Jesus? It's through the church. That the church is the grand object lesson, the visual representation 
to the world that is broken, that they can look at and see light and see hope and they can see the mystery of Christ. That is the plan. It has always been the plan. And my hope is that you and I, that we together can be that light in a very, very, very dark world. Let me touch on this before we move forward. Um, At times, we may be offensive to the world. As Christians, we may be offensive to the world. The Bible warns us of that. We we might be offensive to the world. Um, But hear me. Let it be the cross that offends, not your attitude toward each other. They might think you're a fool, but let it be the gospel that they think is foolish. Don't let them think that you're foolish. Does it make sense? In your office, in your life, in your school, in your community, are you that light? A better question is, collectively, are we that light? Are we that light here? I mean, honestly, this text has relit my passion to see our community grow here in this area at Stone Oak Bible. Uh, that we would be a beautifully diverse community. Just beautifully diverse, that no matter who you are, no matter what your background, no matter where you've come from, no matter what you do for a living, no matter what you drive, no matter where you live, no matter what color your skin, no matter what, that when you walk into our service, when you walk into a community group, that there is nothing, no dividing wall that makes you feel like you don't fit. This is something, it's not an option, it's, uh, it should be our focus because by this, our community is, is going to know that we belong to Jesus. When they see that, our community is going to know that we belong to Jesus. The mystery of Christ is that we are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise of Christ, and we get the opportunity to showcase that beautiful mystery of God. We get the opportunity to showcase it by our unified diversity under Christ. That they will see our love for each other. Um, I could say a lot more, but I want to end with this. So, so Paul closes down his, his, his rabbit trail here, and uh, he ends it, and I thought it would be really appropriate for us to end here. Uh, verses 11 and 12, um, he says this, uh, this was according to the eternal purpose that he is realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, um, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. It's all about Christ in whom we have boldness and access with confidence. Do you hear that? Boldness and confidence that we have through our Savior. That, that through Christ, boldness and confidence are yours, no matter who you are no matter your background, no matter your past, no matter what your life has looked like up to this point, that through Christ you can come to God with boldness and confidence. And I think it's incredible for us to end our time together here thinking through that as we, as we take communion together. Um, let me just walk you through what we're, what we're about to do. So in the back of the room, we have, we have two tables set up that, that each have bread and, and a cup. Uh, on it. Uh, here in a moment, um, when, as we go back there, that, that bread, it represents and should remind us of our Savior's body that was broken for us, making all of this possible. And that cup 
um, should represent and remind us of the blood of our Savior that was spilled on our behalf, forgiveness of sins, making all of this possible. Without that, none of this would happen and none of this would matter. This is why we wanted to do it, because at the end of our time together, I thought, what better thing that we can do than just to stop and, and look to Christ who makes all of this a reality, giving us that access to God. Uh, and so in a moment, we're going to have a couple minutes of prayer, and after that, the band is going to come up, and they're going to sing one of my all-time favorite songs. Uh, and, and as they do, when you're ready, the tables are, are available uh, for us to remember our Savior. Would you, would you close your eyes and bow your head with me for a moment? <coughs> um, if you're here and you're not yet a follower of Christ, if you're here and you're honestly just trying to figure things out right now, if you're here and you're just not sure, um, for a moment, I just want to talk with you while we are, before we, we pray together. Um, not only do we love you, not only do we love you here at this church, not only are you welcome here and you'll always be welcome here, but more than that, God loves you. God loves you and through Jesus you can know him. No matter your past, no matter the doubts that you currently have in your head, God loves you. And this morning, if you feel God stirring in your heart, I want to invite you simply to come to God. Um, and hear me, as you do, uh, you're not going to find shame. You're not going to find condemnation or judgment, no matter what you come into this moment with, because Christ took that. As you come to God this morning, you will find acceptance. As our text says, you'll find boldness, you'll find confidence. And for so many of us, that's exactly what we've been looking for. But boldness and confidence is found in Christ alone. And if that is you this morning, I just want the opportunity to pray with you. And as, as I pray... I. I just encourage you to pray with me right there where, you, where you're seated. This is not a hocus-pocus moment. It's not something you say the magical words and you're all great. No, 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 no. Uh, this is us coming to God and acknowledging what God has done. Just simply acknowledging that, that he has moved in our hearts and that he has saved us by his grace. Uh, would, you, would you pray with me this morning? God, thank you. I know that I have sinned. I know that I fall short. I confess that I fail, but God, you offer grace through Jesus Christ. Thank you for sending your son to die in my place. I pray that you forgive me of my sins and I pray that you direct my steps so that I can point everyone to you. 
and can bring you the glory. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.